Well, good morning, Christ City. Once again, we are turning today to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus is instructing us as his followers what it means to be his disciples, what it means to, to flourish as human beings, following him as our king in his kingdom. Today we are in chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, and it's a passage that one commentator has called one of the most encouraging and hope-giving sections in the Sermon on the Mount, and even of the whole New Testament. And it is an encouraging passage. It's an incredible passage. And it comes to us at the end of a section where Jesus has been teaching us, uh, teaching us to live as his disciples with correct discernment. We looked at that last week. Correct discernment of ourselves, but also of others uh, as we communicate truth in a way that accords with Jesus and his righteousness, but in a way that is full of mercy, uh, saturated with gospel mercy. And now he instructs us that we must also discern not just ourselves and others in this mercy-saturated way, but we also must discern who God is correctly. To have an accurate perception of God and his good character for the sake of our prayers. And what Jesus will show us here is that we ought to bring our needs to God in prayer. We should pray to him because he is a good and a loving father. So that's our outline this morning. Jesus commands us, number one, ask, seek, uh, Knock, because, point two, God is our good and loving Father. Ask, seek, knock, because God is our loving Father. So point one, look with me at verses seven to eight. And our first point, ask and seek and knock. Jesus writes this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus' command to us in this section, I think, is striking to us for its simplicity. He looks at his disciples, he's aware of their needs. He knows that they're facing difficult situations and circumstances. And he simply tells them, he says, you know what you should do? You should bring those things to God in prayer. You should ask, you should seek, you should knock. Come to God with those things, with those burdens. Why? Well, because he says, as he continues, everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And notably, it's not the reverse, right? Jesus doesn't say that that those who don't bother asking God for anything, that, that God will listen and hear them. No, he says it's those who do, those who come to him, those who ask him, those who petition him, that those are the ones who will be heard and who will be received and who will even be answered. And of course, in the Bible, this is always the way of human beings relating to God. This is the way that God works in relationship with us, in his mercy. In his mercy, he calls us to actually bring our requests to him. Not to just think about them, I'm just thinking about that hard situation in my life, but to actually take those things and to bring them to God in prayer. Of course, the Apostle Paul was someone who was steeped in the Bible. Uh, He knew the character of God in Scripture. And throughout his writing, he emphasizes prayer all over the place. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In Romans 12, verse 12, he says, Be constant in prayer. Ask, seek, knock all the time. In Ephesians 6, verse 18, he says, pray at all times in the Spirit. In Philippians 4, verse 6, he says, in everything by prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God in everything. Or Colossians 4 verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Or in 1 Thessalonians 5 17, just so succinctly, three words, pray without ceasing. In Christ's city, I think we read a lot of Paul's words like this, and sometimes we just consider them hyperbole. I mean, he can't be serious all the time. But I think what Paul's getting at is something profound, that God is drawing us into a relationship where we live before him and communicate throughout our day, all the time in our lives, our needs and our gratitude and our lives to him in prayer. And moreover, of course, in Scripture, our greatest examples are people who prayed fervently. People who were like David. Uh, people like David to whom much of the, the prayer book in the Bible, the book of the Psalms, owes its authorship. Or also people like Daniel who would not stop faithfully praying to God even though it cost him a night, an overnight stay in a lion's den. But of course, the greatest example for us as a hero in Scripture is Jesus. And Jesus is someone who Luke 5, 16 tells us would take time regularly to stop his ministry. Jesus would stop his ministry to withdraw and to be with his father and to ask and to seek and to knock, to present his requests before God. Chris City, I wanted to land on you. Jesus, Jesus was committed to asking and seeking and knocking, and he was fully God as well as fully man. Why shouldn't we do the same? Jesus calls us to pray. He commands us to pray fervently. Now, at this point, some people, I think, raise an objection, and it goes something like this. They say, they say doesn't it sound, it, it sounds kind of petty to me that, that God, who knows all things, would ask me to tell him what he already knows before he gives it to me. Like, what kind of God does that? Why wouldn't he just give me the things that I need without me having to ask? But to ask this question, I think, fails to realize what the heart of prayer is, and it fails to realize also even the character of God, who God is. You see, the God who reveals himself in the Bible, he's a God of love. He lives eternally in fellowship and intimate relationship with the other members of the Trinity, with Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together in relationship and in communion. And importantly, the salvation that this God, this great and glorious God, the salvation he's drawing us to is not a salvation where he simply gives us good things in our lives. No, it's a salvation where he gives us the best thing, where he's drawing us towards the richest and most glorious thing of all, which is fellowship and relationship with himself. Christ City, because God is preeminently relational, if you and I complain about having to actually ask him for what we need, it's a little bit like me in my marriage complaining that I have to talk to my wife. Like, why doesn't she just know all the things that I need? And why doesn't she just give them to me without me having to ask her? I don't, I don't really like this whole communicating thing. But of course, that sounds like nonsense. It's a stupid complaint for me in my marriage because communication is really the heart of my relationship with my wife. And in the same way, God doesn't want a relationship with his children where he simply churns, cranks, and wheels in the sky to give us things. No, he's an infinite God who is perfect in his love, who desires to draw us closer and closer to himself in real and rich, communicative and dynamic relationship through prayer. 
So Jesus commands us to come to God in prayer. He commands us to pray. But he also encourages us that we have every reason, Christ City, every reason to bring our requests before God expectantly and even confidently. Why? Because of who he is. Because of his character. Because he is our good and our loving father. Look at chapter 7, 9 to 11, and our second point. Jesus says this. He says, Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your father or to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, why does Jesus feel the need to share these words with us? Isn't it this? Isn't it that Jesus knows that one of the reasons we fail to pray is because we find it so difficult, so difficult to actually think about God for who he is as a God who is our Father and who loves us. He knows we consistently struggle to grapple with just how God how good God is, and how great his love is towards us. This has been true of me in my life. It wasn't that long ago I was an intern uh, that in, a, in a church in, in Vermont. It was about four years ago now. And there's a very significant moment for me at that church where um, the pastor and I were talking, and he asked me, he says, Brand, do you believe that God loves you? And at this point, I'd, committed, I'd, I'd completed a couple of seminary degrees. I mean, I knew the theological answers. I knew the Bible. And I answered, of course. I mean, yes, I know that God loves me. But then to just drive his point home a little bit further, he says, Brent, but do you believe that God likes you? And as this pastor asked me that question, what flooded my mind were all my own doubts and insecurities of myself. The way that there are lots of things in my life that I don't like about me. There's all the ways that I fail and all the silly things that I do and all my own idiosyncrasies. And as I thought about those things, I knew that in my heart at some level, I didn't actually believe that God liked me. I knew he loved me, but he doesn't like me. And I knew that, that that meant, if I didn't think he liked me, that at some level, I didn't truly believe that he really loved me either. You see, I had misunderstood something essential about who God is. It wasn't really practically living itself out in my life. I didn't have the knowledge of God as a father who loves his children, who loves me, deeply impressed upon my soul. But this God is a father who, through Jesus, doesn't just tolerate his children and love them because they're around. This is a father who delights in his kids. Our God is a father who likes us, his children. And his love for us, it's not dependent on us. It's not dependent on us performing to a certain standard. It's not dependent on us being cute all the time. It's not dependent on us having the right sort of personality that that he really is attracted to in every way. It's not dependent upon having the best grades or the most successful career or having the perfect uh, anything. His love for us is dependent on one fact. The fact that through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has adopted us 
as his children. We are his kids. We are his kids. And because we're his kids, he loves us. He likes us. He is for us. And Jesus says, knowing this, knowing all of this, he says we should pray to our Father confident in his love and in his intention to do us good. Look again at verse 11. He says, if you then who are evil, if you, you parents on earth, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And yet, there's another objection here, isn't there? Because I know some of you might say something to me like this, but Brent, you don't understand. I've asked God for good things, and he hasn't given them to me. I've asked God, and he didn't answer, and therefore, this text of Scripture is wrong. It's not true. Chris City, we need to hear Jesus' words in context. To understand what Jesus is saying, he went to look at what he says in context. And in context, Jesus has told us already in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's in chapter 6, verse 33. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has told us to pray in chapter 6, verse 10, your kingdom come, God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, when we complain that this passage hasn't worked out for us because God hasn't given us what we prayed for, the problem isn't with Jesus. It's not with the Sermon on the Mount. It's not with God. The problem is with us. When we complain these sorts of things, we betray that that we don't want God's will. We don't want God's kingdom. We want ours. We betray that we're upset at him because he hasn't done our will. We're kind of like a kid that's disappointed that their parents doesn't answer uh, every one of their requests. Why haven't you done what I want, God? Don't you understand? I want it. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just promise us anything we ask for. He promises us in verse 11, good things. Our Father is a loving and good God who gives us good things. Ultimately good things. Perfectly good things. The best things. Tim Keller states it this way. He says, if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives. If we knew what God knows, if we saw from the vantage point of eternity as omniscient God who knows all things, everything about your life, everything about where your life is headed, everything about what is ultimately good for you, then we would ask exactly for what he gives us. God only gives his children The best things. Things that 50 and 100 and 200 and 300 and 3,000 years from now will look back and say, God, you gave me exactly what I needed. God, that was difficult. That was the hardest point in my life. But it was what I needed to think of you, to draw near to you, to love you more, to have my heart more oriented towards you and your kingdom than ever before. God gives us the best things. Even if the best things are that we, rel- that we learn to rely on him in persistently poor health in our lives. Even if the best things are that we learn to be satisfied and to trust him when we don't have ample resources. Even if the best things are that 
we trust and rely upon our good and loving Father in difficult circumstances, in suffering, or in persecution. So, Jesus teaches us, he commands us, ask, seek, knock, pray, come to God, and come full of confidence that God is a loving and a good Father, that his intention is to give you good things, that he will give you the best things. But maybe you hear these words and you've been thinking about this message as I've been communicating it, and the challenge for you is not to believe what I've been saying, but it's more, how do I even begin? Where do I start? I'd like to have a, a prayer life that's more characterized by, by prayer uh, in a regular way. How do I begin? Well, as we conclude, I'd love to give you uh, some practical encouragement to, to help you in your prayer life, to begin to pray, pray more uh, in, in a way that, that is just richly uh, full of Scripture. I find that I'm often at a loss when it comes to my prayer times if I don't have my Bible with me. And the reason for that is that as I pray by myself, I'll often drift off and start thinking about other things, or maybe um, I, I end up just praying the same old phrases that I've prayed over and over and over again that I've heard other Christians say, um, and I get stuck a little bit. And one thing that I found that's been tremendously helpful is to learn to pray God's words back to God, to take up Scripture and especially to follow the prayers that are in Scripture and to use them as a guide in my own prayer life to pray to God. There's a few places that I would encourage you to begin uh, to learn to do this, uh, for you to pray the prayers of Scripture back to God yourself. First of all, I'd, I'd encourage you to pick up your Bible and open it right in the middle in the book of the Psalms. The book of the Psalms is just full of these prayers to God. It's a wonderful place to go to learn to pray these same things back to God. And I'd encourage you to familiar, familiarize yourself with the Psalms, to get to know them, to, to learn them, to understand uh, what the Psalms are all about and, and where they are, uh, but then to pick them up individually and to pray through them. And how I do that is this. I'll pick a Psalm, I'll read through it, and then I'll stop and I'll start to read through it again and I'll turn these into prayers. I'll turn it into to loosely guiding my prayers by the words that are in that Psalm and praying those same things back to God. God, uh, help me in the way that you're helping this psalmist or that he cries out to you. Father, turn my heart to you like the psalmist prays that, that you would turn his heart to you. Father, uh, be my God, be my help, be my refuge like you are to this psalmist. It's really a fruitful way to pray. Second, I would encourage you to look at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, he's taught us to pray. He gave us the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a wonderful prayer to use to pray uh, just word for word and walk through it and pray it right back as it is on the page to God. But it's also a wonderful prayer to use to guide you in your prayers, to pray again line by line and to, to turn each line back and on, in reflection on your own life and to use it to shape your own prayers in your own situation. Like this, uh, Father, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you help me to want your kingdom? Would you cause your kingdom to increase in my life and in the lives of my children and of my spouse? Father, would you work to grow your kingdom and cause it to be an effective witness for your kingdom even in the cities of Vancouver? And then to continue in this way throughout the whole of the Lord's Prayer. 
But there's a third place that I would encourage you to go if you're wanting some guidance in your prayers. And it would be the prayers of Paul. You can Google those. You can look them up on the internet and just look up the prayers of Paul in the Bible. And you'll find a gazillion websites that have a, a lot of information about those prayers or even have them listed. But one prayer in particular I'd encourage you to pray is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. It's one of my favorites. It's one that I often turn to when I want to pray for a Christian in the particular situation. I don't really know what to pray. I'll open up this passage and I'll let this prayer from Paul guide me as I pray for the church, as I pray for this person in need. And significantly in this prayer, Paul prays for the most important thing of all for us. He prays that we would know, that we would believe, that we would walk in and trust that God's love for us in Jesus is great, that it is high and deep and wide, and long, and broad, and for us, and that we would learn to walk in that love, and so be filled up with God, that his character would change us, and we would reflect his glory in this world. Finally, I want to encourage you, as you seek to grow in prayer, uh, I would encourage you to pray with others. In this season, especially Christ City, it's a good time to pick up your phone and to call people to, to say, hey, I, how are you doing? Uh, I want to read some scripture with you. Um, I want to just talk to you. And, and can I pray for you? Finish those phone calls asking, can I pray for you? Can we pray together? It's a great way of encouraging one another. I also would invite you, another way to grow in prayer is to pray uh, with us in groups. We're doing a prayer time every Tuesday morning still at 7 a.m. In, in a Zoom call. And if you're interested in joining us, on that, then I would encourage you to email me at brant at christcitychurch.ca and I would love to give you the link for you to join us in our Zoom call. There's also a Wednesday prayer gathering that we have each week across all three churches. We get together at noon and we pray together. You can find the link for that at christcitychurch.ca and you can click on your neighborhood church and you can click on the media tab and there will be a, a prayer Zoom meeting link that you can click on to join that on Wednesday at noon. You see, Jesus commands us, ask, seek, knock. He urges us to pray fervently, regularly, and he encourages us that we have every reason to press on in prayer. God is a good and a loving father, and he loves to give us good things. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.